Hey, and welcome to episode three of the Bods Podcast. We have a very special episode today because we have our first ever guest on the show, and it is our own brother and the designer of our logo, Alton. What's up, guys? Happy to have you, man. Happy to be here. All right, so on the docket today, we're going to be, first of all, teeing up next season, kind of going through the ins and outs of the off season, breaking down the new additions, how they're going to slot into the lineup and utilized. Um, then we're going to be moving on to training camp and projecting potential stars of training camp. Maybe there's a diamond in the rough somewhere. Then we'll be moving on to our buds or duds, of course. And we'll try to finish things off with some talk on the reverse retro jerseys. But uh, to get things going, we're going to be teeing up next season. Um, so each of us are just going to go through the goods, the bads, uh, what we like about the moves in the offseason, what we don't like, um, and where we see this team going. And who better to start it off with than our guest, Alton. So I'll pass it off to you. Next season is going to be interesting, you know. Uh a lot of new faces on the team. Bottom six completely rebuilt. Um, some new players that uh, everyone pretends they've watched play and think they're uh, not good or they're very good, like Barbanov and Lettinen. Barbanov. That's what I said. I he, said he said Barbanov. Oh. There's the second A. Barabanov. Yeah, yeah Barabanov. I'll give, I'll give, to, I'll give to Ontario a call out there. There's three A's in there. It can be tough. Yeah, Barabanov. Uh, yeah, a lot of guys on the team with stuff to prove, and some guys, uh, yeah, who need to take a step. I think this is gonna be the most exciting training camp we've had since Shanahan came in. To be honest, because this is a time where you have really a bunch of spots up for grabs, and even though we mostly slot McCabe into that top six. That's not solidified either. That was a rotating carousel last year as well. So I think there's just so many positions of the team that are up for grabs and so many capable players who can fill those slots, both on forward and defense. It's going to be really interesting to see how that kind of dynamic plays out and, and how much these new additions really kind of fill into the slots that Kyle Dubas, you know, really sees how they are going to come in. Because if you look at it, this is, this is the first team that is 100% Kyle Dubas. There's no remnants of anything else. This is Kyle Dubas's team top to bottom, left to right. So I'm really curious to see how this plays out. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of really good additions here. Um, and it's so interesting to see how the dynamic changes, especially because we're in Toronto where everything's magnified. Um, way more than anywhere else in the NHL. So everybody would rag on Dubas for being just a stat guy where he would rely so much on the analytics. Uh, and this is kind of everybody's saying it that he's uh, growing as a GM. And this is proof of it because he's brought in gritty veterans. Like if you were to find all the people he's brought in aside from Jimmy VC, they are gritty veterans. I mean, even Jimmy VC, he's still six three. Like he's not he's a little dude. Like he's still gonna come. He's still gonna be able to come in and crash and bang if needed. Even though that, even if that's not his biggest game, but like if you're slotting in Jimmy VC over the likes of Andreas Janssen and Kasper Kapanen, who are smaller stature players, 
as much as he's not like in your face, he's still a, a bigger body to deal with in the corners when those shifts where you might not be generating offense, but you're still being a nuisance to the team. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, VC is such an interesting case uh, because he hasn't really shown anything at the NHL level just yet. Uh, but given he, who knows why he decided to go to New York and then getting, you know, moved to Buffalo is just, that's the worst. <laughs> Aside he, had back, he had back-to-back 17-goal seasons and 16 yeah. in his rookie season. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's true. Fair. 15 to 20 goal score on the third line is um, uh, not even just the third line for 900,000. That's that's a well worthy risk, absolutely 100% agree. Yeah, the price is perfect for, for like there's zero risk to the Leafs. If he's a bust, com- like a complete bust, it's still no harm to the Leafs because he's a minimum contract, isn't it a one year deal? And like, even yeah. if you're throwing him on waivers, you know, the likes is very, he's variable, yeah, he's variable, but like, even you have. Other players who can fill that slot, like a Nick Robertson, for instance, you could just slide right into that third line left wing. Well, not to mention Pierre Engel. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. Yeah, like the left wing position is it's tough. There's lots of competition, which is great. So like, that, VC VC is more variable than Engvall. We have to like, well, Engvall favorites. Well, yeah, I know, but Engvall, Engvall still counts for against the cap for one seventy five. Yeah, but that's still better than the the nine. And hundred yeah. VC, yeah, yeah. I mean, VC is just—it's such an interesting story, and, and I really hope he shines as a Maple Leaf because we all knew he belonged here to start. Everybody was thinking he was going to Toronto right away, but he decided to pick New York. And I, personally, I think a lot of Leaf fans are going to hold that against him. But at the same time, when a guy's getting paid nine hundred grand, who gives a fuck? <laughs> so. Let's just see what the kid can do. For sure. Well, that's what I'm so curious about. Like we we all we all have these people pen- penciled in, like of Jimmy BC or Barabanov, and and even Mikheyev. Like I think a lot of those positions are still very much up for grabs. Like we forget that Mikheyev actually made the team under Babcock, right? So 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 even Sheldon Keefe, you know, he he brought in. He got Mikheyev off the hop. So it wasn't even like his choice for that he made the team. And as much as he was the obviously the MVP of the you know, the training camp going into the, the replay, and obviously we all love Superman, but that doesn't necessarily mean that his spot is 100%. So well, there's, never, there's never been a better training camp player, I don't think. <laughs> the point is that like, he's a player that is valuable as he can be. What he provides is not necessarily special and a lot of other people can do it at, maybe not at the same level but they can fill that slot so, so you have the likes of Barabanov who might be able to slide into that you have the likes of Nate Roberts who can slide into that you have the likes of even Igor Korshkov who slides into that but I think that's a really underrated prospect that people really don't think to look, look at and he's had a really strong KHL season last year and even this year as a teenager so I'm really excited to see what a lot of these prospects do that we, I think we're underestimating how much and how big of a step they could take in this time. And as much as they are not able to you know, play a lot of, for the most part, they've had this time to 
to really focus on the physical aspect things and really getting to the gym and, and improving their uh, their performance from that perspective. So I'm really curious to see who is taking advantage of this time off, who hasn't. And I think there's going to be some players who gym is a huge step because they're getting older, their body's filling out, and they've had all this time to build this muscle. So I think a player like Travis Dermott, for instance, I think he's going to take a huge advantage of this time off to really kind of put that muscle on, put that kind of speed on, and I'm, I'm excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, the amount of young talent that's on this team is just something to be so excited about. Just because on top of all the huge stars we have, you have the young players coming through the system that, you know, they have such potential to be real stars in the NHL. And you look at guys like Sandine and Nick Robertson and, you know, even Mikko Lettinen is like, like wild card at 26. He is, but he's new to the NHL. Yeah, but like him coming in, like, if you look at Nick Robertson and Sandine, they are still prospects. Nico yeah. Lennon is coming in as like, this is what he is. So if he's not a success in the season, he's not going to be successful in the NHL because he is what he is as a player versus a player like Robertson or those kind of younger players who still have years to develop into their prime and who they actually are as a player. So I, I would be very put Lennon in the same group as those younger players who have been Yeah, drafted. that's fair. You know, he, he actually is very similar to Stoopman in that respect, where, you know, coming over for the from the KHL and he's already, like, Soup was 25, right, like, when he came over. So, I'm just hoping he's not out of the Zaitsev. Or, uh, yeah. Or Ovechkinov, or, 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 that's what it is. <laughs> Odoganov? Odoganov! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Daganov. Love it. All right. So we'll be moving on to the next topic of discussion here, which will be going through the potential stars of training camp. And, we, of course, we all think it's going to be Ilya Mikheyev because he is the MVP of training camps. Uh, but the, let's the mix it up. Absolute superhero. All right, Alton. Take care off. Who's your star? training camp aside from soup he's the obvious choice make it interesting okay yeah i mean that was my go-to right there <laughs> that's everybody's go-to man the guy is an absolute rock reigning star. mvp rock star in the uh, uh preseason um and I, I knowing nothing about him i have a there's a feeling because of how much everybody loves to talk about him but miko latinin i'm really hopeful steals the show and is like a really good player in, in training camp. That's what I'm hoping be, for. That'd be great to see. Love that's, that. that's, what I, that's, that's the hope. Now yeah. I don't know, know nothing about him. So. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the educated decision? A, a personal education decision, it would probably be Mitchie Marner. Yeah, that's the same thing. A, a year after big contracts settle into it a bit, you know, and go and get the almost like putting him. it seems like you're putting him on the same spectrum as like when Elander did. Where like you kind of expect that the contract year is a tough and really stressful year and especially with the pandemic kind of threw him off. 
And now he's had time to kind of deal with it and get comfortable with the setting. And now he can really take off and show his true value. 100%. Yeah, I really hope Mitch takes that step and really just becomes the player that he has the potential to be. Because the skill set of this kid is unbelievable. He, like, the, his vision to his hands, just his creativity is so unique. And it's very rare to have that, especially on the Maple Leafs. Come on. We don't have creative players like that. And then all of a sudden, and he's a hometown kid as well, right? So that just makes it even better. So I really hope that you're right. I hope that he is the MVP of training camp. I hope he goes and scores over 100 points this season in a shortened season even. I, I And he, I think he's capable of it. I mean, if it's a 60-game season, the 100 points is a fucking huge task. It is. But we don't know yeah. how long the season is going to be, what's, right? What's funny, it's what's not funny gonna be, is that, like, what's, what's funny is that, like, literally like, everyone was shitting on Marner the whole season. And literally he was on pace for one less point than he had the year before. So on pace for 93. My, my biggest issue with Marner didn't have anything to do with his offensive output. Or even his play as a whole. It was more select circumstances where he would be kind of nonchalant. It was almost like having a brain fart. And I know we all kind of have our situations where you know we have our brain farts in hockey. But it seemed that he just had really bad moments similar to Jake Gardner. Where the bad things that happen aren't even that frequent. But when it does happen, it happens at really bad times. And they're real, real bad. They're pizzas. They're pizzas. They're pizzas up the middle. And, you know, those, those are a dark mark on any hockey player's career. No matter how successful they are on the offensive end, you can't do that. But that is something that can be learned to be fixed. And I would almost guarantee that that's something that Sheldon Keefe is focusing on for Mitch. Yeah, I imagine so. All right, Kian, who is your star of training camp? Potential star, of course. That's a great question. And... I think it's going to be Troy Brody. DJ Brody. Wow. Did it. Oh, man. Troy Brody hasn't played on this team in a very long time. TJ Brody is going to be my MVP at the training camp because I think for the first time, Morgan Riley will have a very competent defensive partner who's going to complement all of his skills effectively. And it's going to be like the you know, the came to the Cabriolet situation and, you know, Brody, Brody playing on his offside opens up so many one-time opportunities at 505 and I'm really excited to see all that come together. And and if we start seeing, you know, one tease all day, you can guarantee I'll be making Cabriolet McCabe references all year long because that, really I, there's a reason why my Twitch name is 242 and 24 was Brian McCabe because of how good he was when he was maybe early on. Obviously, people hated on him later on because he scored that shitty goal against Buffalo, but here and there. But I think it's going to be TJ Brody as far as the MVP of the, the preseason. Brian no, McCabe, McCabe had a rule made after him, like the whole can opener thing. Yeah, that was, uh, wasn't a penalty until he started doing it. The, and that's the thing. We adopted that in minor hockey with the can opener as a defenseman. Oh, my God. I'd use that all the time. I got penalized for it. 
maybe twice. So the success rate's pretty high. <laughs> All right. As far as training camp goes, uh, I think my star of training camp is going to be Nick Robertson. And it's just, you know, circling back to last episode and his performance in the play-in round just showed a burning desire to be in the NHL. So I just think that anybody with that much desire and that much work ethic and that much talent is going to make their way onto that roster because, you know, there's going to be other guys who might have the same skill set, but they might not have the same hustle. And that hustle is what gets you into the NHL. And Zach Hyman is the perfect example of that. So for that reason, Nick Robertson, I think he has that same drive. And I think he's going to be our star of training camp. Yeah, I don't think he makes the team. There's a hot take right there. I don't think he makes the team. Um, I don't think he makes the team either, to be honest. I think his Barabanov, with him being... Like he's 26 years old, one-year contracts. I, I think like un- unless he's an absolute hot mess, tire fire, he's making this team. I think the only situation is actually not necessarily Bear about not being a tire fire, but I feel like Nick Robertson would have to be like out of mind. Like he would have to be scoring like – he would have to leave the team in points in preseason, I think, in order to – win that spot over the guys that have signed for a year. Yeah, I think he's got to play top six, right? And so yeah, he's got to be on Tavares' wing. So yeah, can he like have? Honestly, because well, Robertson... Well, it depends how your lineup rolls out, but yeah. And the thing is, line left wing. Robertson can't be claimed off of waivers. and that, That's the other appealing thing, right? So a guy like Pierre Engvall... Actually, I'm pretty sure Piangbo can't be claimed off waivers either. Can no, he? he's wa- he's waiver exempt. Yeah, he's okay, waiver so. exempt. So those two guys, I feel like they're going to be cycled in and out of the lineup throughout the season. Um, but here's the other thing: is like we have to see what happens with the AHL because that will drastically affect how these players are utilized. And with you know, with the ECHL call thrown in the flag saying they're not doing a season this year, the NHL doesn't even know when they're going. So the AHL. I think, you know, Ken, you, you told me that um, the o- they were trying to go for the OHL model starting in February. Yeah. So, yeah, the o- OHL officially announced that they're doing a February start date. And then, from what I've heard from AHL insiders, is that their board of members have met and essentially are agreeing on that potential February timeline and then essentially ending at the same time as whenever the NHL does. So, I think that's part of why they haven't officially announced it yet, is that they don't know the end date, but they know the start date. Gotcha. And that's the thing. It makes it so difficult to project the Leafs lineup because we don't even know what the roster size is going to be for this NHL season because of the implications of the farm teams, right? Where if you have an entire league that's not even going to play what happens to all these players and all the players that are interchangeable as the year goes on, right? So all these players are kind of stuck in limbo. We do well, know we do know that there's going to be 12, 12 or thirteen forwards and six or seven defensemen and two goalies. Right? We know we know that much, right? Of yeah. guys who are going to play at, at least, least that, yeah. 
So, Alton, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how many players who would have been NHL players this year will take advantage of playing in the World Juniors before coming into training camp. How many players? How many players? How many of the big name dudes? So that you're like the likes of Alex Lafreniere, who are still within the age group of playing in the World Juniors, and they're not they haven't played hockey since whenever their junior career ended. How many of them are going to choose to take advantage of playing in the World Juniors? And then will this end up being the best World Junior since the 2003 one with the lockout and Crosby playing? I imagine there's going to be a fair amount. At least I haven't looked at all the rosters, to be completely honest, of who's going. I know on Canada, I know Kirby Doc is going to be there. So like, he's obviously a guy with... Uh, the two guys who are coming back, like Cousins and stuff Yeah, like Cousins, Doc. Kirby Doc is a huge win for the Canadians. Well, <laughs> I really hope they, he's, he's yeah, well, I don't. I don't think Lafreniere. I think he's he's an NHL player. He's going to be playing in the NHL this season. Yeah, so but if, if, if is, go, right? the thing is, like, even if anyone who's an NHL player, they're probably not going to be playing until the fifteenth to twentieth of January at the earliest. Right. And if yeah, but it's taking draft plays with Christmas to what January sixth. Why wouldn't you take that advantage of that time to get game ready before you hide ahead to game training camp? Well, per- personally, if there, I don't think there's any better development than that tournament. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure why you wouldn't want to play in it. But a lot of people, obviously, in the show, think of it a little bit differently. Uh, especially like Lafreniere has played in it three times, so it's not like I he is. He, he made, made as a 17 year old and 18 year old. Okay, so two there times. You go. So two Good. times. The only three, only three time is uh, Crosby, Crosby at sixteen, and Ryan well, Ellis, who played four times, I believe, because he didn't join the NHL after as he was a late bloomer. Well, the other thing you have to consider is this is the first time ever that the World Juniors are happening happening before the NHL season even starts, mm-hmm. right? So. I think that gives a little more incentive to players in the NHL to go play in the World Juniors because why not? It's it's almost like an addition to your training camp. You don't even have to miss time from your team, really. Mm-hmm. So like, let's say I, I don't think the January first start date is going to happen. That's just me. So, but I'm assuming by the time the World Juniors end, the NHL will start. I understand. Agree. Like, I I look at a guy like. Like who, I can't remember his name right now, but the guy that the Senators picked third overall, the German dude, he was coming off. So, so, yeah. so he came off coming off of that hand injury or whatever injury he had that he had right before the draft or right, right during the draft. After, and right, like right after. Yeah, yeah. So like someone like him who you haven't got the chance to play at all, you would probably have been. How do you get a chance to be on the ice that much in that time? He's a player who like. Would have been an NHL player this season, but I would, if I were him, I would want to take advantage of that tournament. So I, yeah. I, I think there's going to be a lot of players who are going to take that mindset of like, I haven't played in a while, and like I'm about to go into the toughest league of all time. When I want to go into a tournament against my own age group and build my confidence back up before heading into the show. Yes. <laughs> 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 That's my point, right? Like, it's like if you're dealing with all that stress in your mind as a fucking 18 year old teenager, 
you're probably going to try and put the screws to whoever team drafted you. Be like, yo, let me play. It's going to be beneficial for you in the long run. Because I think if those players don't get injured, the likes of an Alex Lafreniere or, or Shushkin or whatever are all going to come into that season playing significantly better and be more clean-shaped than a lot of the veterans that are there anyways. All right, so we're going to be moving into projecting the role for each new addition. Uh, so we're going to go through all the off-season additions. We'll, we'll go player by player, and we'll go around as to what we think they're going to bring to the lineup and where we think they're going to slot into the lineup and pretty much how Sheldon Keep is going to utilize these players. Um, so we may as well start with the best player of the bunch in TJ Brody. Uh, Alton, why don't you get us started? He's the beer guy. He's the guy who brings some beer in the dressing room. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, TJ Brody is he's going to play first line. He's the first line, first uh, pair of defensemen. He's going to play with Morgan Riley on the right side. Um, probably PP2 uh, with probably Lettinen, I would say. Um but yeah, he's gonna he's solid. He's he's a he's a top defenseman on the team. He's a big upgrade on what we've had there in the past. Yeah, I'm just happy to have a D partner finally for Morgan Riley. And and I think that's the biggest thing. And having played defense at a competitive level, you are only as good as your D partner. And that's just the fact of playing defense because it's just the two of you. Where there's so much mutual responsibility, where if one D pinches, the other has to cover, and if you don't do that, you're exposed, grossly exposed. So, for the longest time, Morgan Riley's just had a bunch of plugs. I mean, fucking Cody CC is just useless. his best defensive players in history are, as far as talent, you can go, you know, Barry. Hainsey and Finneff. Those are like the top three. That's not a great top three. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not great. I mean, Tyson Berry is easily the best defenseman on that list, but he just had the worst year of his career here. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're talking about Maple Leafs, Tyson Berry, he might be the bottom of that list. <laughs> it was not good. Literally, I was so jacked up when I saw oh, that trade. I was so happy about that trade because he was supposed to be a stud. Like, I well, he was a stud. I was guys for years before the Leafs to try and trade for Tyson Berry. I was like, I'm a big Tyson Berry fan. I was so high. He, he was my fantasy go-to. He's always my highest pick fantasy defenseman. Him and Petrangelo, one of my, my money go-to yeah. in the fantasy leagues. Speaking of Petrangelo, uh, Vegas is going to be scary next year. Well, thinking about fantasy picks, Wayne Simmons was my golden boy for years. For years. Especially pulls that it hits. Man, that guy was an absolute gem. Getting you goals, assists, points, power play points, hits, shorthanded points. That guy was a stud. And I'm so hyped to have that man as part of the Maple Leafs. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not going to get into him just yet. Um I'm going to get my two cents on, on TJ Brody because you two just kind of went off there. Um, you know, you guys did cover the point where this is probably the best defenseman that Morgan Riley's had the opportunity to play with. But I think the fact that he's a lefty who prefers to play the right side, it, 
usually the only defenseman that wants to do that is a guy who has like just a, a banger of a slap shot. And you know, I, obviously, I don't see Tyson Berry. Play, all right, sorry, not Tyson Berry. T.J. Brody play very often because he, he's played in the West basically his whole career, right? So um, we only really saw him when it was Calgary, Toronto, which is what like two, maybe three times a year, and that's just not a very big sample size. But from what I've seen in highlights, uh, this guy has a bomb of a slap shot, and that's what the Leafs have needed. I mean, you have Muslin who has a pretty good slap shot, but you need more than one. And maybe somebody who's a little more, you know, quick on their feet than Muslin is who can still let one rip. But that's a good segue into uh, Wayne Simmons. And uh, anything else you wanted to add on Wayne Simmons, Ken? Honestly, like, I've been a big Wayne Simmons fan going back to his whole career. Like even when he got drafted by LA and being part of that, uh, I think it was the Mike Richards trade, you know, Mike just for Simmons and Brandon Shen. I thought that was a big win for Philly because they were getting two really strong potential players there in Shen and, and Simmons. And obviously LA went on to win two cups, but I thought that was a really good move for the LA as far as the future was concerned. And I loved what Simmons did in Philly. The guy fulfilled exactly what I thought he would as far as being that true power forward. And Rory said the other day that he he genuinely could be the last true power forward as far in the game. And it, I think it's a really powerful comment because he's a guy that will beat your face in both on the scoreboard but also you know, when he needs to punch you in the face. So I'm, uh, I'm really excited to kind of see how he plugs in. He's going to be very endearing to Lee fans because he's from the Toronto area, but also because he plays that blue collar, you know, style of play that Lee fan base have really kind of been drawn to throughout history. If you look at the likes of players who've been, you know, idolized throughout history, especially in our lifetime, people who play that ball blue collar kind of game are typically more revered. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I've always been a Wade Simmons fan too, fan too. I mean, especially for fantasy in a banger league. Oh my God, this guy's money because he just hits everything he sees. And I love the crash and bang style of hockey, mainly because that's the type of hockey I played. I'd crash and bang and lay people out. And Wayne Simmons reminds me of myself where he just give a fuck about you. He doesn't care who you are, what name is on your back. He's going to put you on your ass. I don't care if it's Sidney Crosby in the corner. Wayne Simmons is still going to go in there and try to rock him. And that's what the Leafs need. Like You need that presence on your team because otherwise you're going to have got the likes of like Sidney Crosby go into the corner fearlessly and walk around your players because they're not giving them a hard time, not making it challenging to get the cycle going and, and start, you know, playing offense, right? And having played both defense and offense, I know that, that lack of pressure on the defensive end is what leads to goals. So if you're an offensive player and the defenseman's not pressuring you on the boards, then it's way easier to cut into the middle and find the open man or score a goal yourself. Whereas you if you're Wayne Simmons going into that situation, if a defenseman comes at you, 
you're crushing him and he's going to be in the front of the net fighting that defenseman. Whereas if you look at the like, like Kapanen and Janssen, it's they always do the spin away, you know, when somebody comes to hit them into the boards, they do the quick turn away. And that's what most skill players do. But problem is we have too many skill players. It's almost like a more skilled version of Zach Hyman. Someone who's just willing to throw the puck in the corner and crash and bang. I'd say a more violent version of Zach Hyman because I guarantee you're trying to tell me that Wayne Simmons isn't more talented than we, than Zach Hyman. You're crazy. Oh, he's easily more talented. Like Zach Hyman's talent is so limited, but his work ethic make, like just makes up for it. True. And that's why he's the hound dog uh, on the wing. Of two superstars, I mean, he's he's a pretty talented uh, children's book writer, so you can't say he has no he talent. Okay? Okay. True, hockey talent. To hockey, pots and pans. Pots and pans. He doesn't have a great shot. You know, all the things. He's not the fastest player. He's pretty fast. He hustles his ass off, but he's going to outwork you in every corner. He's going to win every puck battle. And if you have two other superstars on the line, that's all you need out of him. And then he's perfectly slotted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he'll throw the body around, just not as frequently as a Wayne Simmons would. We also puts the work in in the gym. He always wins the fitness competition on the team. Yeah. He's, well, that, I think that comes back to work ethic, though, is that, like, he knows he knows the limits of his, of his talent. I think that's something that a lot of players can't attest to, is that, like, they don't know. They might have been told, like, you're better. Like, if you think about it, so many players have especially in the NHL, have come up through their entire lives as being the most talented player on their team throughout them. And I don't think that Zach Hyman had that experience. I feel like Zach Hyman was more like the rest of us who grew up as more of the middle-of-the-pack kind of player on most high-level teams and grew into the player that he was today because of his work ethic. And he went into that you know collegiate game being a six-three player, but his work ethic in a less talented league, I think he, you know, showed how he can shine. Yeah, for sure. All right, Elton, what are your thoughts on on Wayne Simmons? Uh, I mean, he's exactly what they they need on their in their bottom six, right? Like, you can't have a thirty-eight-year-old Jason Spezza being the guy to drop the mitts yeah, in the that, playoff game. You know, that, that was a great up, moment. Right? Like, but it was a sad moment for Leaf fans because this guy should not be the guy doing that. It's a sad moment for Spezza. This guy was one of the best players in the NHL, and now he has to drop the gloves and try and get his team going for a playoff game, an elimination game. That's why you're talking about a guy who played against Darcy Tucker who fought his entire bench. Yeah. Fought his entire bench in a playoff series, and that's the kind of player who he has to try and live up to as far as, you know, Leaf fandom and, and even just, you know, the playoffs. Like, trying to get into that mindset, 100% agree with you. But yeah, great fit on the team, I think. Uh, we'll see, obviously. But um, I think on paper, as it always is uh, in the off season, it's a good move. Gotcha. Okay, so we'll, we'll move into Jimmy VC. I know we've already touched on him a little bit, so we'll keep Jimmy VC kind of brief. Um, Kian, you want to get us going? So Jimmy VC is a really interesting case because if you look at his career in New York, and I know we were all shocked that he went to New York, 
but at the time, it made a little bit of sense from the perspective that it, it's where he's going to get the biggest opportunity. And he took advantage of that opportunity for a couple of years. I mean, he, it's not like he put up, you know, half-assed numbers in his first few years in New York. But the fact that he then got traded, and after getting traded, it was bad. It was real bad. And then the past season, it just was even more. So this very much is the redemption season. So I, I look back on what Elton said in as far as like how he's going to do in the in the preseason, and I'm really excited to see what a player that like him who has all the inherent talent there, but it's can he put it all together in order to be an effective NHL player. So I, I'm really excited to see. One is of coming of Jimmy VC, and I, I personally think that he will fit very nicely into our top nine. I don't think he's a top six player, but I think he can happily replace the likes of an Andreas Southman or Casper Kapanen. Definitely. All right, Alton, what's your take on Jimmy VC? I think a comparable for VC would be I know he doesn't play, VC doesn't play center, but. To go back to a former Leaf, it's probably Tyler Bozak. Like you, you look back and how Bozak started his career in the show, and um, they're not dissimilar. You know, like I can like, see that. Yeah, that's, he, that's a, a curious relation right there. Well, like they're both college players. You know, they come yeah. out and come into the NHL. Um, I think VC was VC was drafted. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. Bozak wasn't. So, but that's that's the difference here. But he was drafted by Nashville, I believe. Yeah, and he walked. He didn't uh, sign by the yeah deadline. But, yeah, yeah. But like, uh, you know, I I think he's on track to have like a. I mean, he needs to get back on track first. But if he, as long as he keeps consistent with what he was doing before he went to Buffalo, I think he's got a good chance to play another. 10 years in, in the NHL. He certainly has the potential, but yeah, he needs to just forget everything he ever learned in Buffalo. Well, I mean, that's not hard to I me. Mean, Buffalo is <laughs> kind of forgettable. Yeah. <laughs> These are facts. It's, it's just not a good place to go ever. I mean, yeah. are you, were you, weren't you both there for World junior events and wasn't it just absolutely dead in the city after? Well, my world junior experience there was just the definition of misery because it was the outdoor Canada USA game. Uh, and for some, you know, it, it's purely because of the location of Buffalo that it just gets fucked by weather because it's in between the two great lakes. It just gets slaughtered by snow. So we're here at new era field, the home of the, the Bills, so you get fucking Bills Mafia, those hooligans. Um, <laughs> and not, and to top it off, the Americans are wearing like Bills jerseys, basically. So, first of all, there were, it just snowed constantly, aggressively, the whole game. And a three-hour hockey game took six hours because they had to keep clearing the ice of all the snow. And Top it all up, we lost in a fucking shootout, and it, and then after that, it took us two hours to get out of the parking lot. That was a heartbreaking game to watch. Yeah, I imagine being there. I had a, a 
Dude, America. you invite me to that game, and I can't tell you how happy I was that I declined that invitation. Oh, I've never been more pissed off to be in Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> Alton, how about your experience at Buff- in Buffalo in the World Juniors? Um, I was at a, I was at a few of them. I was at a couple of them. I was at uh, one a couple more recently, a couple of years ago, um, against uh, who was it? Shit, I don't remember who it was against. The moment I remember better is uh, years ago with um, – trying to think of who the star on the team was. I think it was the Matt Bart. No, not Matt Bart as well. I don't know. But uh, it was Canada versus Russia, the game we went to. Was that the uh, Tavares team? It was whoever – Ryan Allen? I know Cody Eakin was on the team. Oh, that's way back. Oh, that made me like Ryan Allison's like fourth year, like his fourth run. Um. I think Ryan Ellis was on the team. Sorry, yeah, go I'm ahead. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Cody Eakin was on the team. But um, so whenever the hell that was. But we went to Canada versus Russia. Canada didn't wear, win gold. I'm pretty sure Russia did, actually. But in this game, it was uh, the round robin. And we go to the game. We stay in a hotel in Buffalo. I think St. Mark's or something like that. Or Mark's, Mark's Hotel. <laughs> Where all the players were staying, so we ran into the Czech team in the elevator, which is kind of cool. Um, I mean, who knows? I could be uh, superstars in the NHL right now. I'd never know. Um, <laughs> but we, we go to the game. We're up in the bleeders, and uh, it's stacked full of Canada fans. Love it. Absolutely stacked full of Canadians. Um, so this would have been 2011. I think because I looked up Cody Eakin. So, um, 2011, it was absolutely stacked. Anyway, Canada won the game. Um, I don't remember what the score was. <laughs> I just remember that it was absolutely electric in that building. Was it the um, Canada Switzerland game? No, it was Canada Russia. Uh, it was on. It was like on Boxing Day. We won six three. I just looked it up. So. It was, it was we won six three uh, against Russia. Um, well, that was twenty eleven. Yeah, twenty eleven. Um, yeah, so Ryan Ellis was there. Erica Branson, Quinton Howden, uh, Sean Couturier, Jaden Schwartz, Ryan Johansson, Braden Shen. This, this is a pretty stacked team, actually. Got a lot of studs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like, anyway, what kind of studs around there? But Vlad Tarasenko on the Russians. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so we, yeah, it was a really exciting game. It was like it was buzzing in that rink, and then was this a Saturday night? I don't know. It was, it was the uh, Boxing Day. I think it was a Saturday night at the time. But my memory serves me, and we go out of the rink. And we're walking around downtown Buffalo, and there's not a soul. <laughs> Not a soul on the streets, and like it's always fucking cold in Buffalo. Oh, like, always. You, you kind of expected to see a little bit of a buzz the day after, uh, um, the day after Christmas with the World Juniors in town. We go into this uh, bar, and literally the only people in there are the TSN like TV crew and, and us. <laughs> Was it others? <laughs> Uh no, it was it was like it was like the the back end crew. I mean, maybe oh, okay. the 
maybe the the faces were there as well, but we didn't see them. But it was just it was so wild to see. Like, man, we're in the downtown of a of major a, city a, in the United States. <laughs> of a, I don't know if we call it a major city. I mean, it's like if a, they have an NHL team, they're a major city. That's your Holiday Center. Yeah, they they have a football team, which is more. Oh, there's wild. They're wild about that team. That's for sure. Yeah, jumping on tables for them, I hear. Bell's Mafia, baby. Oh, I've had my experience with them, and I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> All right, so we're going to be moving on to our buds or duds of the upcoming year. So a little different version of buds or duds this go around. Um, so we're going to be projecting our buds or duds rather than rating previous buds or duds. So, Alton, who is your bud and who is your dud and why? My bud is going to be Travis Dermott because right now I think I think he's going to be in a fight for uh, to play at all, and uh, I think he is going to win out and be play a, a lot bigger role on this team by the end of the season. Obviously, it'd be a little more drastic if it was a full going to be a full season. Um, we'd have more time. Uh, it's going to be between him, Bogo, and Lettinen. I think that's going to be a rotation, personally, because I think Mo and Brody, uh, Muzzin and Hall are. That's a locked in top four, and it's a bottom two rotation. You know, I find it so curious that you have Hall locked in over Dermot when Dermot has more games played. Uh, Hall has been more solidified in his position. Yeah, Hall, Hall was like an absolute rock last year beside Muzzin. Yeah, and there's no there's no reason there's no reason to change that. No, I mean he had a few like brain fart moments. Yeah, but when he was playing with Muzzin, that was us. Very, very solid shutdown pair for the Maple Leafs. Yeah. And uh, really the first solid shutdown pair we've had in a long time. And that's where, like, I wouldn't want to put the likes of Bogosian with Muzzin because I'm so comfortable with the chemistry between Muzzin and Hall that I would want to at least see how that is to start and plug all those new pieces around, which is why you have the Brody going with, with Riley you know, letting a third pair with whoever makes the team. Well, so like Hall, Hall, like a lot of Lee fans might not realize the value in him because they probably don't realize that he's even there, which is probably the best part about him. Is yep. that you don't know that he's there and he, that, you don't want to know. For, for, yeah, for a defenseman, that's a good thing. You don't, you don't, you don't have Martin Bambi, um, Marinson out sure. there. You we just call him a shithead on this show. What's that? We just call him a shithead on this show. No, you don't call. You can't call people. He's, he's a human being, man. He deserves. He just has uh, no business being a hockey player. Yeah, maybe that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, that's your bud. Who's your dad? Dud is going to be Alexander Kerfoot, and. Um, because everyone is, uh, not everyone, a lot of people are placing them as uh, the third line C. Um, and I just don't see it. He can't play center. 
He's not a center. Uh, he always played better as a winger with John Tavares, and um, just I don't I don't see him being what he was traded to be. And obviously that can change, but from what happened last year, I just don't I don't see it. So do you think he takes Ilya Mikheyev's slot next to Tavares? No. No, I don't. I don't think he does. I think he uh I mean I just can go through my lineup right now if you want, and it's like I got him third line left wing. Playing with uh, Jumbo and VC. I mean, I don't dislike that line because Jumbo in the middle is always good because he's going to be able to pass to his wingers better than anybody. And, you know, VC, he can move and so can Kerfoot. So you got two. So, I mean, it's, speed up the wing is more important than up the middle. Well, that's- the center, the center can play high in the D, in the O zone. And high, like in high in the D zone, right? Like they don't have to be deep in the corners. Right? There's like there's systems that can work around slower players. And um, I mean, I don't know what Sheldon Keefe's going to employ, but I mean, obviously Joe, Big Joe can fucking grind in the corners too. So like in the in the offensive zone, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's the high forward that just is like a not a third defenseman, but like he'll f- facilitate from from the top of the rink. Honestly, I just think that like the likes of Alice Kerfoot suffered from the same problem that Tyson Fury did. And it's the Babcock syndrome is that if you think about those first 22 games of the season, no one knew their position. No one knew what, what they were. No one knew what their spot was in the team. He created it a lot of indecision among the players because it's like, all right, I keep Riley here, but I don't know what to do with Barry. I'm going to, you know, keep moving Kerfoot around to all these different spots to see what works best. And, and he, and Kerfoot, especially with all the different injuries that happened across the lineup, he ended up filling up a lot of slots that he wasn't necessarily ready or comfortable in playing. So I'm curious to see how he functions under, a new leader in a fresh environment with a full season and where he ends up lining up. And I still think that he can play that third line center role. All right. Well, that's a good segue, Kian, into uh, your butter dud. My butt is going to be Freddie Anderson. And this may surprise some considering he was my dud last episode for the play-in. But I've historically been a big Freddy supporter, and I think he's a phenomenal goalie, but sometimes just has a tendency to let in a soft goal. But the reason why he's even my bud is the fact that you know he's going into a contract year. This is going to be his first time as a Maple Leaf having an actual solid defensive line in front of him. And it's his last chance to raise his stock before it really starts to drop as he starts to age here. So I think you know the, the stars are going to align for Freddy. He's going to be competing for the Vesna, and I'm excited to see him when finally win a playoff series and potentially carry us to the Stanley Cup. As far as I don't sorry, I don't I don't entirely think that he's going to get paid after this. Because I mean you look around the league and guys who are thirty one years old, like you take for instance Braden Holtby, right? Like Stanley Cup champion Braden Holtby. Are you, are you telling me that if Freddie went out and carried the loose to a Stanley Cup this year, 
teams wouldn't be lining up for his services and offering him a bid raise from the five hundred five million. Braden Holpe's making four point three million next year. Two years from a win. See, the thing is with goalies is I think this contract with the Leafs was Freddie's cashing out. Yeah, me too. I think that that's it. Like he got his big his big payday, and perhaps it's not enough on today's standards of Carey Price's ten million. But that's but uh, he's not. He's not Carey Price. I just, I just think so. This, yeah, this is Freddie. Like he's a he's he has a chance to be an UFA for the first time in his career at 30, 31. and this is last chance to prove himself as a true starter that can win. And I think we're going to get to see the best of Freddie this year more than any of the year previously. All right, Jim. So who's your dad? Why did Zach Bogosian? Ooh, and why is that? I mean, it kind of feels like a safe pick, but why is that? Zach Bogosian, historically, if you look at his career, has not fit in a lot of teams. And the way he plays is a little reckless. And and as much as I love a guy who hits a lot, I don't like someone who's going to go for the big hit if it puts you out of position. And he seems like that kind of a dude. Now, people will shine a light on last year's playoffs because obviously he was part of a Stanley Cup champion team and also had the absolute privilege of playing with the best defenseman in the NHL of Victor Hedman at this point. So I think he's someone who has had his stock rise a lot higher than it needed, especially because of his last playoffs. And all of the inherent problems that other teams saw from him to this point will start to shine through as we progress through the season. And I don't doubt that he will end up playing, whether that's in back-to-backs or whatever. But as far as when we get to the playoffs next year, he's going to end up being the dud because he'll be sitting in the press box watching all the buds play. Yeah, fair enough. All right, so I'll take it over with my buds and my duds. Uh, so my bud of this upcoming season is projected to be TJ Brody. Um, I just think this guy is just going to gel into this lineup perfectly and give Riley that D partner that he's needed really badly. And a lot of Lee fans had criticized the attempt to bring in TJ Brody, mainly because they attributed his his um, success to playing next to Mark Giordano, who is undoubtedly an unbelievable defenseman. But Mark Giordano is kind of like an older version of uh, Morgan Riley, who's a worse skater, who might be a better at like ac- better at actual defense, um, but. I think what TJ Brody and Morgan Riley have together is something that's going to really be special, mainly because you have the free-willing ability of uh, Riley, and this guy has such great vision. Like He's going to carry the puck behind the net, walk it out with confidence, and make that pass that's going to set up a play. And having Brody as his D partner gives him an option of a bomb of a slap shot. And the advantage here is the fact that Brody is a left-handed shot who likes to play the right side. So that's strictly because it gives him a one-timer option. 
So the fact that he has this big ass slap shot, Riley, he always, you know, he dips into the zone and then cuts back and he makes room for himself. If he has that option to slide it over for a one timer from TJ Brody, that's going to be lethal. You know, Dari, it honestly reminds me a little bit of the time that I played with you. Where there were the two right-handed shots, and we were just open for one-timers all day. Oh, well, that's exactly what it is, right? Like whoever's playing their offside, sure, there's disadvantages from a defensive perspective, for, but from an offensive perspective, you are in the money. Like you're good to go. Everybody loves being set up off on their off wing because one-timers on your off wing are the easiest to get off. Sultan, do you have any interesting points on the? Buds or duds from the two of us? Well, I haven't even said my dad. Bud. Yeah, he's got to get to his dad first. Oh, sorry, I'm an idiot. But then I'll, I'll get some points going because I got some. <laughs> my dad is definitely going to generate some points because my dud is Joe Thornton. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh, but... No! No, that's not a change your pick. No, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep it controversial. And this is a projected dud, so this remains to be seen. So who knows? Maybe Joe Threaten will be a big dud. I hope he's not. I really hope he's not. I think I, I think he's a beauty of a person and a player, but he's just so late in his career that I just don't know if he's going to be able to keep up anymore, especially in a freewheeling leaf scene where speed is kind of our thing. Speed and skill. Well, I haven't played with a couple of fast guys, but like that's here's how I see it, right? Like for both you guys, like Bogosian being a dud, uh, a guy making a million bucks. I don't even know if he's on the roster. Yeah, can't really be a dud. But like Joe Thornton, seven hundred K, not a dud. He's not a dud. It's a money contract. You can't be a dud for 700K. Well, the dud is based off of expectation, right? And the expectation here is coming from delusional Leaf fans who think that we're getting the Joe Thornton of the 1990s. And that's just well, not the is, case. Well, what is your expectation of him, though? 30 points. My expectation of him is to be an elite passer. Elite. And I feel like that's just something you don't lose with age. Well, that's also something like, like his foot speed slowing down is not going to affect. Well, he, he was never fast. Yeah, ever. That's my point. He's like, he's someone who like historically has never been known for his speed. So it's not like his play style is all of a sudden going to shift just because he's getting older. He's still going to be consistently a not that fast kind of guy, but can see the ice phenomenally well and can make exceptional passes. Yes, and the thing about that is chemistry. You can be a great passer, but if the person who's receiving it isn't expecting that pass or isn't familiar with your types of passes, quite frankly, it's not going to be as successful. So well, see, that's why I have him on the fourth line because I definitely agree with you that chemistry plays such a huge role, especially so, in passing, which is like all of George Gordon's game. Yeah, and that's why, like, I think if you have him on the fourth line, that line when he gets on the ice for the most part is focused on just grinding it out and. Just kind of keeping the buck on the other end, and where the word is really going to make his money and well, not necessarily money, but where he's going to get his points is on the power play. That second power play unit, you know, you throw the likes of 
you know, Nick Robinson or Wayne Simmons in front of the net, and you have DJ Brogan in the back end. Like, I think that could be a very successful second power play unit run by a bunch of vets. You can even have Jason Spets on the other wing there. A bunch of guys with great hands and know what they're doing, and I think he'll end up getting his points there. Really, if you're thinking of him as a fourth line center, which personally I am, I know Alton, you have him as your third line center, but if I'm having him as a fourth line center, I'm not expecting that much of him as far as what he's doing from a shift to shift basis. I'm more so, can you produce on the second power play and give us a boost and we need it when we're not necessarily getting it from our big boys? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, especially because, you know, Joe Thornton is just such a storied player, and I hope I'm wrong here, but. It's buds or duds, and if I had it my way, I would never have a dud on the Leafs. But for the sake of picking one, if there was anybody who I think is just not going to meet expectations, it's going to be Joe Thornton, and it's strictly because of his age. And it's it's a factor. He's everything's slowing down, and then there's the chemistry factor on top of that. Whereas if I if I saw Joe Thornton doing another year with the Sharks, with the team he's already familiar with. I think he, well, it's obviously a shitty team, but I think he would be a lot more comfortable and make a lot better plays. Whereas there's always risk when you're moving teams, where it's like, who who knows if he's going to gel with his line mates. And that's like, we don't even know what line he's going to be playing on. If he's going to be playing center, if he's going to be playing wing, we have no idea. So that obviously there's a lot of mystery and I hope I'm wrong, but I just, if I had to pick somebody who, potentially might be a dud, it has to be Joe Thornton for me. Any comments on that, Alton, before we close it out? Well, we got one more segment. Well, what's what's your okay, what's your lineup look like then? Because like I I got Joe Thornton I think uh, he's a at, lot higher than I think he's at more risk of being exposed in a third line role. I, I think he, he's at less risk at a fourth line role. So personally I ha- I would have him at a fourth line role. But if he is in the third line role, then I think there's more potential for him to be the dud. Can't be a dud for 700K. Yeah, well, that, we're, we're going based off of the on-ice thing, not the administrative and financial aspects. All right, so we're going to close it out with our last uh, segment here, which is commenting on the reverse retro jerseys. And, <laughs> you know, there were some beauties among the NHL collection of the reverse retro, but there are some tire fires, and unfortunately, the Leafs are among them. Can you name your top ones, though, first? Okay, start. Okay. So my top ones, I love the Capitals one. I think it's really clean. It's a beautiful okay. mixture. Go, go top Go top three. Top three. Okay, top I'll three give my right top three. So I'll, 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 you know, Capitals will take number one. Uh, I love the combination of old and new, you know, old symbol, but it's the new colors. It, it's a, a sweet jersey. Um, I'll have to give the second one. You know, this is a tough one, but I, I'm giving it to LA because those jerseys are just straight up fire. <laughs> and, and they're appealing to the LA crowd. You know, that's a Lakers city. So why not use Lakers colors? And you've used it before, so there's your reverse retro. And the Lakers just won a championship too, so fuck it, why not? That like that that fits for LA perfectly. My third would have to be Chicago. Yeah, that's a, a beautiful. Really, this is a really nice jersey. 
It's a court. Man, it, man. it's so overdone, though. It's, it's basically what they've done before. Yeah, but that doesn't mean any less of a nice jersey, though. Yeah. All right, so bottom three, then. My bottom three, the worst one is Detroit, easily. 100%. That's easy. That's, easily. That's no it's a fucking practice jersey, and they use silver stripes instead of red for whatever reason. We might as well just do a bottom two because that's already. Yeah, that, that's a given. I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> the so bad. The second, is, second worst would have to be Dallas. Yeah. The white on white is not good. It's really, really bad. And uh, as far as bottom three, man, the Leafs might be the third one because that that symbol is just so bad. It, it's reminiscent of Harold Ballard years. So the fans who were around for those years are like, what the fuck is this shit? This is like the worst years in our history. And then they tried to blend it with like the Wendell Clark years. But I really feel if they had just kept the shoulder scheme that they had teased, but kept the original symbol and not made the symbol the same color as the jersey, then you would have a gorgeous, gorgeous jersey. And I saw there was a concept of it on Twitter with Bill Nye, the wrist shot guy, um, and a white jersey with the, the blue on the shoulders, a white maple leaf on each shoulder, and uh, the blue classic maple leaf that they're wearing now. But it's a sweet jersey, and I think if they went that model, I would have bought a new one for fuck's sakes. And if this was a revenue grab for the NHL, then why wouldn't you do that for your biggest fan base? I understand. I agree. I think it was a big misstep of the league and maybe least in general. We know that doing research on our podcast here is that the the league opens the cop owns the copyright for the Maple Leafs, and like the fact that you're gonna approve that garbage is just pathetic. As far as Ken, what what's your top and bottom? So my, I'll start with my bottom three. The bottom two are obvious in Dallas and Detroit. They're both horrific. Which is worse, though. Detroit's Detroit. obviously worse. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that's close. No. <laughs> but my third worst is actually a very close tie. And Winnipeg. The reason why it's a close tie is because it's the same element that's ruining it. What? Is it the Islanders? further explain. So my last two, as far as bottom three, actually it's the last three, is the th- for me the third worst is a tie between the San Jose Sharks, the Winnipeg Jets, and the Boston Bruins. Well, the Sharks one is just their classic gray one. Yeah, but the gray doesn't look good. It compares. I don't mind. Teal. I don't mind it, it's, man. It's, it's almost cool. identical to the ones they had before, so I don't really. Yeah, that's that's actually a legit reverse retro. Yeah, I don't understand the the Jets going gray. Yeah, that, that one really confused good. me a little bit. It didn't really make sense. The Jets, like, the Jets uh, I hate. I hate outside it's a, because it's like, why the fuck wouldn't you just go back to your Theo Fleury like? Go back to Theo Fleury. Theo Fleury. Not Theo Fleury. I meant Team Solani. I meant Team Solani. Please forgive me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But like, go well, back to your old school, and the Bruins is like you have a fucking crackhead on your shoulder. Like, why you ever let that happen? Is just ridiculous to me. That's Tony the Tiger after you discovered meth. <laughs> uh, my top three, though, 
a top three. I think number one would have to be the Whalers. I love the Whalers jersey. I think it's amazing. Uh, I I also love the St. Louis jerseys. It throwback to Brett Hall era. I think it fits perfectly within their style. So there's a lot of really good ones. The St. Louis jerseys are amazing, and I think as far as number three, I do love the Washington jerseys. I, it brings me back to oh, you know, Ovi as a young kid and his freaking goal against the you know the Coyotes. It's uh, yeah, and no, I have to go with three uh, three being the, the Washington Capitals. Although as much as it hurts me to say, I have to give props to the Habs jersey that. Looks really good as far as that reverse jersey. I think they they did a really good job, which makes me even more mad about how shit the Leaf jersey is because the half one is actually nice. And it's yeah. Over. All right, Alton, what are your tops and bottoms? Okay, top for me, um, number one, it's between Colorado and LA. I think probably Colorado, the the Nordiques uh, in the Colorado colors. Yeah, but how mad are Quebecers? <laughs> oh, oh, they're furious! They're absolutely furious. But that 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 jersey is nice. Yeah, right? that jersey is absolutely. Like, I would have top ten. I could have done a top ten easily. I would say that the Nordiques one is easily the nicest white jersey of the bunch. Although, the oh Minnesota yeah, Minnesota's pretty close, other than the Subway commercial. And, and I think the Whalers is number one, but I'd love just love the Whalers symbol. It necessarily wasn't as it because it's white. All right, I'll take And then number number two is the Kings. Yeah. Um, Kings jersey, like you said, is fire. Like It's it's just a, a nice jersey. And then number three for me would be the New Jersey Devils. Oh, New Jersey. Christmas colors. I love it. The Christmas. The Chris, we're playing close to the festive season, you know, and the green jersey. I hate it. I love it. I hate it. I know exactly why Keen hates it. And for anybody who's grown up playing in the GTHL, you know this too. It's North Toronto Hockey Club. That is their colors. That is their wheelhouse. And they're always really good. And they were just a pain in the ass to play against. It wasn't even that, dude. It was the fact that they were green pants and green gloves, and it looks so okay. fucking bad. Well, they were also like a faded Grinch-like green. Yeah, but like these ones are more like a holiday forest green. Those fucking horrific colors, and that I cannot get behind that. I cannot. I also, have an honorable mention to Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay. Uh, no, I cannot. I cannot give props to Tampa Bay because I wish they went back to their cup-winning year. Of being black, dude. They fight. All right, Alton. Ah, oh, man. The bottom, the bottom is obvious. Detroit is the worst jersey ever created. Yeah, perhaps it's so bad. It's jersey. It, it could be the worst jersey created. Second is Dallas. Yeah, um, that is a bad jersey. And number three, I got, I got a log jam at number three. Yeah, there's so uh, many there's bad ones. Few other, few other bad ones. It's Vegas. I mean, obviously. Winnipeg, Vegas. No, Vegas isn't even close down to that low. <laughs> Vegas has Winnipeg. Winnipeg is bad. Nashville's is really not very good. The Islanders just flipping the colors. Like, come on. Get serious. Like, it's basically just a, a regular ass jersey, but they flip the orange and the and the white. The Panthers is that's fine. It's, it's what it was. They, they used the it's logo. fine logo, but like the the Rangers jersey, I think is also pretty far down there. 
Like if, if the thing is, like if they if you're rating logos, like I like the logo of the Rangers one. It's a cool logo, but the jersey sucks. Yeah, it's pretty. Big. It's a case. It's a case with a lot of these jerseys. You know, like they, they come out with these, like the Winnipeg Jets. It's like it's a really it's a nice logo, but that jersey sucks. Yeah, yeah, and the like even the Vegas one, like that that's a cool logo for your shoulder. <laughs> <Good enough. laughs> But it's not. It's not a main logo. You know, it's it's not what you put on the as a crest of the jersey. So like, like, I also hate the Calgary one. I think a lot of people online like like the Calgary one. The the horse, the horse. I never liked like the horse. I I think when they went, I think when they back to the uh, the the red, like the crispy red with uh, the the white, white, yeah, the white, yeah, the crispy. That was throwback they needed. As Kean tried to say earlier, it's a theme. Theo Fleury years, uh, like that crispy red. Danny McDonald lifting the cup. Yeah, and Joe Newnight and Doug Gilmore. Doug Doug Gilmore. Yeah, like that that crispy red that they came back to years ago. Those are sick jerseys. 100%. Well, I mean, we're we're an hour 20 minutes in here, so it has been an absolute pleasure having Alton as part of the bots. Yeah, thanks for joining us, man. Talking, yeah, leaves, me. talking leaves and seeing how things are going to go, and, and I'm really excited to have you back on and see how our predictions have you know come to pass. So thank you again for for joining in. Obviously, thanks to my co-host Dara for hosting every every week, and we'll see you next week. But don't ever ever forget, go Leafs, go.